Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah Where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda all right, Matt, we've got a very exciting guest uh, on the show today. Uh, would you like to introduce the TikTok star that we have on the show today? <laughs> that's that's right. It is. Uh, I mean, we are honored, honored to have, you know, uh, normally my boss, <laughs> but now he's in my world, which is very exciting for me. Uh, Brendan from the band Weedus. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Brendan. Thank you for having me on, Matthew. What a what a oh, thing! Yeah, it's great. I'm very yeah. I, for a very, a very important episode of this show. This it's is a, a, this is a, a major major song in uh, in Al's uh, career here. Well, honestly, I'm I'm a little nervous about that. To be <laughs> well, but I want to talk about something before we even get into Yoda. Yeah, okay. right. Because when Matthew and I created this podcast, yes. our concept was like. All right, we're just going to record the self-titled record because no one could possibly have a song that they want to talk about on that self-titled record. Then we just plays like 25 minutes from my house. I go to yes. meet Matthew in person for the first time and I'm talking to you outside and I'm like, we we're, we got to get you on the show. Like, do you know what songs you want to talk about? And you named like three songs on the self-titled record the that we had already record. recorded. It, it, <laughs> like, yeah, well, so, I'm old. <laughs> but even old you know brendan that was that record was not a hit like you were really i mean i know I, you said it was I, you and it was you and your brother who were really into the first well, record it's hard to even pinpoint where where al came into my life because yeah. i don't i don't have memories that go f that far back it's like that definitely get that yeah yeah and so that but but this particular song that we're about to discuss, if you'd mm -hmm. like me to get into it. I do actually have the most vivid visual time and place memory on this one. Oh, yeah. Really? Let's do it. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, where I heard it the first time and what the circumstances were and so on. So um, mm -hmm. record came out in 1985, and that was the year when I, I started 1985 as a nine-year-old. And turned ten. We've start, we've talked before on this show that ten year a ten year old boy usually has an Al a major Al moment. Yeah. So my my brother. <laughs> That's a real thing. Yeah, it is a, a very. So my brother is two years younger than me. He's eight, and we were already playing drums and guitar together. Mm -hmm. Right. This is how how I know because we were downstairs and we I had taught myself how to play. I think money for nothing mm -hmm. i can't remember if it was money for nothing or might have been a Jimi hendrix song like foxy lady or something i had just taught myself how to play some riff mm -hmm. my dad had this drum kit in the basement that was really beat up that my brother was doing his lessons on or like learning on this beat up old ludwig kit with like it was too loud my grandmother said it was too loud so there were socks on it <laughs> like dir dirty socks like stretched across the heads right perfect <clears throat> and yeah and and a sock on the hi hat and like socks on the symbols. That feels stuff, like right? something so, you'd still do now. <clears throat> probably. And um <laughs> and we had we had this little realistic boombox in the corner. And um before like I'm trying to get my brother to do this and I'm saying, just play this, play this like this thing, right? 
And like I said, I can't remember if it was if it was uh, Foxy Lady or Money for Nothing, but it was one of the two. And he's ignoring me, and he's rewinding a cassette tape on the realistic Radio Shack realistic uh, uh, stereo boombox that had like two four-inch speakers or two three-inch speakers and yeah, it was a little yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One tape deck. And he's like, he's he's rewinding, he's rewinding, he's totally ignoring me. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm playing this thing and he's like just sitting there with his sticks in his hand and, and he is playing snippets of this record to try and find Yoda because mm-hmm. he had just gotten into it himself. Oh. And uh, he finds it and he plays it and, you know, I recognize Kink's song, but if I'm being perfectly honest, I probably didn't recognize it as a Kink song. Like, yeah, I probably yeah. just knew the... I was just going to ask, if you recognized right. it at all, that's kind of impressive that, you know, the number of stories, as you would guess, of people yeah. who heard the Owl song first and didn't totally. realize it was a parody, yeah. I but mean, my dad's a big yeah, hit. Driving uh, around, my dad listened to a lot of rock radio. Mm-hmm. So, um, wherever he could find it. Sure. And cassette tapes and things. So, I had heard that song yeah but i didn't know it was the kinks i didn't know who the kinks were really you yeah. know not really and uh uh he it's and it's about yoda like the opening you know the opening line is just is just ridiculous yeah um, because and this is this is where it gets this is why it's not just a weird al song right uh-huh. um it's impossible to convey what Star Wars meant in 1985 yeah. to people who were our age. We, we had seen Jedi in the theater, right, a few years earlier, 1983. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and it ran, this is another thing that doesn't really happen anymore. Jedi ran in theaters for like two years, right? Yeah, it was at that point, yeah, they would, if, if people kept going, they would just keep it in the theater forever. Right. It was yeah. on two or three screens at the Comac Cinema, yeah. and it finally got to downtown Northport, which got movies like a, a an, you know, like a year later after they came out. And so we had, we were in the ritual of seeing Jedi. Yeah. And, you know, this was the, this was the, uh, the culmination of all of what Yoda taught Luke. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was like, it couldn't have been more. It was like it was like experiencing another Star Wars. It was like it was like oh my god! Like there's, I, you know, he's telling us something about. Wow. Okay, this is from another perspective. Yeah. So it was. I instantly forgot about whatever we well, I wanted was obsessed about doing. Yeah, and we just sat there in the basement and listened to the to that, then rewound it and listened to it again, then mm-hmm. again, then again, then again, trying to figure out. I remember trying to figure out the lyrics to the to the bridge. Because they're a little bit box rocks, like we didn't want to show what he was yeah, saying. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I have to. This is the point where I have to interject and just sure. say I am a diehard Star Wars fan. That is a movie that holds a lot of importance to me because my dad and I didn't really agree on a lot of things, but Star Wars was like mm. our bonding glue as a kid. So okay. like it was a Friday night, and he wasn't working. Nine times out of ten, we would watch Star Wars because that was the movie that we both always wanted to watch. So there is a video that someone uploaded that is this song told in scenes from Star Wars. And at a specific line, I actually started crying because I was like, this, as goofy as this song is and as goofy as these lyrics can get, it also, in that bridge that you're talking about, the like, I used the force, I picked up a box, I lifted some rocks, and while I stood on my head, I won't forget what Yoda said. He said, Luke, stay away from the darker side, and if you... Start to go astray. Let your force be your guide. Like that sums up what is the entire ethos of the entire Star Wars franchise in this yeah, dumb much. parody. <laughs> like, and for much. and for some people, maybe you can relate. It's the only positive interaction they have with a parent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it stands yeah. as a singular moment that way. Um, if I could unfold that a little bit, uh, yeah, this was 1985, right? So yeah. Back to the Future was about to hit, and Star Wars was pristine. Yeah, right. Yeah. It had yet to be Sullied. edited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like it was. It was unassailably the constant, the bar for like magnificent space movies that have an ethical tale to them and are like are righteous, right? Yeah, and it you know like Han 
did definitely shoot first, and we all knew that. Yeah. That, like, there's he no was a drug dealer. We figured that out real yeah, quickly. Exactly. Like, He's a hustler, man. He's a total pimp. Yeah. It was just it had all of the it had light and dark in characters. Yeah. And you know that was like part of I don't know like part of learning narratives was like yeah people are good and bad and then they have a choice to make and all this stuff and you know and the the biggest deal of that was at the end of Jedi I know that I know that uh, Yoda is primarily kind of focused on the Empire Strikes Back right it's obviously yeah. he yeah, he yeah, has yeah. to start over as a jet he finds the other only other Jedi in the universe and he begins to train mm-hmm. besides you know his dad but uh, but the but it, if I could if I could just spread it out a little bit it was it we already knew the continuum everybody yeah. saw those three films as one piece sure right so talking about moral choices in illustrated in the bridge uh vader is silent in the original cut when he's watching the emperor kill luke dead yeah. silent he doesn't make a sound it's just his silent helmet sort of like tacking back and forth for a few cuts of the film and then he lunges and I, i'm starting to cry about it right now like the <laughs> yeah. fucking audience <laughs> went crazy i mean people yeah. just stood up in their chairs like oh my god like it was involuntary it wasn't a cheer yeah you know yeah it was like throw him down the fucking well <laughs> it's just like <laughs> people were just like so emotionally invested in like yeah you're definitely not gonna watch him kill your kid you're dead we know yeah. that come on oh fuck yeah <laughs> you know oh, i yeah. love that i mean so it, if, if we if we uh, like We'll go back a moment now because this is a great opportunity to talk about the fact that Al originally wrote and recorded this in 1980 when Empire was in theaters. Right. <laughs> and he performed it on Dr. Demento. He was, I'm going to guess, 20 years old. Yeah, this was one of his Porto studio exactly. recordings, and which there, is, it's the best sounding Porto th- studio there's, song There's a he's demo recording done. of this song that's out there on YouTube you can listen to that's just Al alone um, well, Al with his friend uh, doing the hand fart accompaniment <laughs> and some weird um, sound from, effects. From I'm doing like Demento a Yoda and some odd sound effects in there, yeah. <laughs> but um, it sounds great. It played on Doctor Demento. I met him in a swamp down in Dago Bar, where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. A soda, soda. Saw the little runt sitting there on a log. I asked him his name and in a raspy voice he said Yoda. Why Yoda? Yoda. This is early on, and poor young Al could have never imagined how difficult it would be to release this song in securing the rights from both the Kinks and George Lucas. Like I mean, you know, in a, like he just didn't know that all of this was going to have to happen to make this song occur, and that's it's This took him five years to release because of rights issues. We yeah. might be in the only iteration of the multiverse where it actually happened. And one hundred percent, you're yeah. going to love this, Brendan. And the only reason why this song came out at all is because initially it, they got through all of the stuff with Lucas. Lucas approved it. Then he reached out to the Kinks management, and they said no. And in a random chance encounter, this has happened to Al a few times, he ran into Ray Davies somewhere. How did he asked, do that in the 80s? I, I, I don't know. I don't, he must have been at the right, right place, right time. Ran into Ray Davies, asked him why, if, what issue he had with the track. And Ray Davies was like, I had no idea that uh, this was, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No one ever played me this. Surprise. And then he just played him the track and that was it. And that was it. <laughs> So yeah, that's the only reason why this song exists is that Al ran into Ray Davies, asked him why he said no, and Ray Davies said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Al played him the track, Ray approved it, and this song came out in 1985 following years of wow. legal. I mean, that's uh, we were very, very close to having this song just not come out at all. And no. and But I, I think what's the most interesting and amazing to think, something that comes up on the show a lot, is... He did this in 1980 when Empire was still new. I mean, obviously it was huge. There's no denying that it was immediately huge. But Al's ability to correctly call pop culture mega moments, 
like I, I don't think in 1980 anyone could have yet predicted that we would still that Star Wars would still be moving people to tears to to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, we're or forget doing about right that. Now. It's a literal prediction. Yeah, yeah. The song is oh, a little. Well, I mean, yeah. No, we got to get into Mark, the lyrics. Mark Hamill cur- uh, Yeah, I mean, are like- so prescient. <laughs> it is stunning. Yeah, that video that I was talking <laughs> yeah. about. They may show footage from Last Jedi. During it, it is staggering to think song. about how much he nailed it on this. It's it's wild. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I do want to bring up this one thing that I did read about the writing of the song uh, because technically this is another sort of like a Madonna situation where someone else told him to do the parody. Uh, he said after the success of the movie, he was toying around with the idea of writing a song about the breakout character, but could not think of a suitable song to use for the parody. He goes, I was at college at the time. And then my friend Mike just said, why not do it to Lola? And he said, I couldn't believe I hadn't thought of that of myself since I was such a huge <laughs> Kinks fan. But- so, yeah, well, <clears throat> I, along that tip, I'm not as familiar with the newer Star Wars movies or their names. Um, That's fair. But it's I kn- become harder. Yeah, but I know that there is that weird scene where he drinks milk out of some creature's breast. Yep, that is that is uh, Last Jedi. Okay, mm. Last Jedi. So, <laughs> is that a bit of a nod to Lola? <laughs> it could be. Actually. Like, is I that mean, we, we, did they you did know, they get that one? Was that just we? Everyone thought that that's that was an interesting like thought, Brendan, because completely I, I around the twist, strange, but maybe. I, maybe. You know what? I feel like I feel like if any other director had made that movie, I'd be like, no. But that's the one that Rain that's Johnson, Ryan, yeah, made. Ryan Johnson, yeah, yeah, Ryan Johnson, yeah, and that dude, like that dude's pop culture palette is so deep that I'm think, sure uh, you, it's you might possible. be right. That's a really that's a. That's <laughs> I a think we're looking at an Brennan. Easter egg. I mean, he's yeah. like he's you know, and if I could get a little blue for a second. Oh yeah, he by can't, all means. He like, can't like put, that milk. <laughs> yeah, he can't put oral sex in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> that's harder to pull off. That's way hard. No pun intended. Yeah, but <laughs> but. <laughs> But uh, but but the bizarreness and the out of context ness of that yeah. moment make me think that there's just maybe he's just like I have to nod to to Yoda <laughs> yeah by well Weird so Al and that's that now also a great segue for us to briefly talk about the original song Lola by mm-hmm. the Kinks which came out in 1970 so for Al this is kind of old you know generally speaking. With a few exceptions throughout the years, he mostly parodies songs that are very current in the moment. And at yeah. the time he does this, even the first demo, this song's 10 years old. Um, so this was already kind of cemented as a something of a classic. I guess people still knew it and really liked it. So it was a, it was a, a good choice in that respect. Um, but the original King song, I mean, this is this song is a masterpiece. This is like. And and lyrically, I mean, we've talked about this before, Brendan, funny enough, before this podcast came up, like this song is kind of astonishingly progressive for 1970 to write a song about a transgender community situation that's very accepting and open and not judgmental at a time where that was to get that into a pop song and make a hit of it yeah. uh, in 1970 is really uh, very impressive. Yeah, I, I don't want to make assumptions, but it always... You know, the times I've listened to it in depth, I always kind of thought it was about a hetero slash transsexual relationship that's sort of burgeoning and is there's insecurity there, yeah. but there's also like a certainty of like attraction and still it's like it's moving forward. And um, and old Soho, you know, where I, I assume we're talking about London. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we could also be talking about downtown New York in the seventies. Possible, and, yeah. And, you know, yeah. you know, after a New York Dolls show or something, and yeah. and uh, you know, we, I mean, like um, that information when you when you're ten years old is inaccessible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just because conceptually it's a little too. Oh, actually, it, I should say when you're eight or nine or ten years old in 1985. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. That information is like sort of out of your grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, so. In case anybody's wondering why, they just didn't teach kids things about that back then <laughs> at all. No. As you grow older, you find out things, and then you have you have this memory of this song that is so it's a creates. Al has given us this duality of purpose with with the track, right? It's like this fond, goofy memory about this ubiquitous thing that literally overtook the entire nation, mm. and it's it's modeled on. Pa- parodied on a song 
that is arguably about one of the most obscure at the time, especially in the 70s, identity relationship issues that there was. Yeah. Right? So it's like, he he's really... <laughs> He's really like tying the room together with this shit, you know, in, oh, yeah. in, way, in ways that are like multi-generational, multi-identifiable, you know. Um, and what is Yoda, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, do we know what you, like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know if Yoda is a male or female. No, yeah, or that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you, I hadn't thought about that as well. You're right. There's, you know? there's some element of that. But just, I mean, yeah, in terms of like the Kings track, I, I think they keep it. In the original song, it's definitely left to be very open to interpretation. You're not Lola, but the other character of the song, um, at the end of it, I think you get the sense that even they're not totally sure who Lola is or how Lola identifies, but it doesn't matter. Uh, right. They Because they just care. fell for this person regardless. I mean, the lyric in this song, uh, girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. In right. 1970, that is a yeah. wild sentiment to put into a radio pop song. That I mean, I you, I give a tremendous amount of credit for that. That is that is really impressive. It's crazy. And, it's fur, yeah. it's further afield than Bowie. Yeah, yeah. And it's knowing like, what we know about Al, it's not a surprise to me that he was drawn to this for the subject matter of the song and just because it is just a flawless pop song. 100%. Yeah. Totally it's, flawless. Yeah. I want to also talk about cuz you did mention like at the time that he did the 1980 version, the song was already a decade old. And yeah. that's kind of where the weirdness of Yoda comes out because this has to be, without competition, the most famous Weird Al song that was not a single and had no music video. Yeah. Um, like it, it's, it's his... I actually had to check that, Matt, because I, I, I guess I knew that and I still had to double check myself because it seems impossible to me that this was not a single. So Al said that he just always considered it a cool song for the album, yeah. but he never considered it a single because of the the gap in 1985 to when Empire and the original song had come out. That he thought it was too outdated. Um, and then this this answers a lot of questions of something we discussed on uh, last week's episode. But he said also the fact that a majority of the album's video budget just went to the like a ver uh, like a surgeon parody. <laughs> Meant that making a video for Yoda would be kind of not feasible. It probably would have been a very expensive video. You can definitely tell on these early albums that like the label was like, you can make one video, and then the next video is going to be f five people standing in a room with nothing, <laughs> just <sing> lip-syncing <laughs> a song because there's just no extra money. Yeah, we, I think we predict that the one more minute video cost about a hundred dollars. Yeah, like, if it seems like they like... did it between sound check and showtime at a venue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a few. There are a few more hiccups with making a video for Yoda. Oh, more rights issues, right? Yeah. More rights yeah. issues. Second of all, then you're talking about the image and likeness of of Lucas's toy characters. Oh yeah. Oh right. Yeah. So yeah, um, Kerner's getting involved at that point, or Kenner's getting involved at that point. And... Yeah, and 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 also, how the fuck do you make a Star Wars video in 1985? Like <sighs> that, the budget, like yeah, like George the Lucas special would have had to direct it. Yeah, Lucas was at the cutting edge of what could be done on 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 celluloid at the time in terms yeah. of effects and and it's like man like i'm not sure i mean you hire the people who made tron maybe i i don't like i don't know how you even get it done like it, it's it's puppets it's frank oz it's like yeah he, you know, he probably he, he probably realized like to do something star wars he would have in order to do it properly it would have been impossibly expensive i mean obviously he could yeah. have done something cheaper but um then but it wouldn't it, have worked yeah, yeah. and yeah. it would have been I mean, dangerously close to him mocking the par the the property i think probably if he didn't do it like 100% all in which we know he's very cautious to not ever do that like it's sure. all done with with uh, like love and respect yeah and yeah. also did he really want like he gotten so far with the luck streak on that song Mm. Yeah, you know, did he oh, really yeah, want to yeah. like? He didn't push, push, push the issue. <laughs> like, as soon as he got everyone like, to sign, he was like, "Just record it, and then don't yeah, want to say anything." Stop, everyone. <laughs> and he, he didn't. He it, frankly didn't need to because no, the ubiquity yeah. of the Star Wars franchise at the time was so just overwhelming. And that's the kind of awesome thing about it. It was like because of Star Wars being what it is, what it was then, what it remains. Like it did a lot of the work for him. I mean, again, this is a fantastic parody, but the the enduring appeal of star wars has kept this song this song has remained generally speaking his show closer almost without exception since it came out 
Yeah. Yeah. It, he's he's changed it one or two times, but for the most part, he has ended every show since this record with this song. Which, I, that's a whole other... We, we're going to get into the live uh, I know, there's a whole piece, other... But there's, there's, the, yeah. But, there's a but lot. let's talk about lyrics for a little bit first, before yeah, we get yeah, into yeah. that Yeah, that I, have them, I have them printed out right here. Yeah. In front. <laughs> uh, I mean, there... Are there any standout lyrics? I know we already kind of talked about that bridge part. Um, which the is bridge of this even, song. Oh, my God. And again, this is so almost good. just back to the King's version. But the bridge of this song is maybe one of my favorite like pieces of music. One of the, one of my, the best bridges in a song. Those chord changes and the way that... I mean, it's just such a great, great piece of music. I mean, I guess the real thing I want to talk about is towards the end, which are the big like <laughs> foreshadowing lines. But we Because the, the, the first half or most of the song is really almost just like covering you know, the plot points of the, the movie. So I've always considered, in a broader sense, outside this song or anything, mm-hmm. Weird Al to be a sort of an Andy Warhol character, right? He's conducting totally. this grand... He, he, it's, a, it's all a giant performance statement about commerce and ubiquity and tr- trends and fads and style and, and all of that. And he's constantly perfecting the art of taking this thing that somebody has made that everybody has decided is fantastic mm-hmm. and deconstructing it and challenging you to not like it and knowing full well that that if he does it right destroying it is just like an impossible thing like it can't right. be it can't be deconstructed he's kind of like showing you like look how ridiculous i made this i met him in a swamp down in dagobah like <laughs> What? <laughs> like, like we've all been to Dag, you know Dagobah, right? Like yeah, that swamp. Like, and it's it's like his his injection of the preposterous into these magnificent things that we all cherish, right? Is this ongoing experiment in like can a Campbell's soup can be something you don't like? No, not really. Like we're past <laughs> that point, you know. And he's he's yeah. doing that all the time. He's 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 always doing that. And so when he's segues from this triumphant like you know you could cry during this bridge oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Then the i did land. today yeah <laughs> today this very day grown adults cried yeah. for this bridge and then the soft landing is this like admission of the commerce of the entire thing exactly yeah exactly that you that you also don't mind, like you're yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I hope Luke is always Luke, you know, like, like, yeah. and you, you, th- right through the look to the fourth wall, right, right into, right into the contract, like, right into the lawyer's office and the fine print, from this, from this triumphant, uh, transcendent, imaginative, imaginative moment of mm-hmm. of glory, right through down the gutter to the lawyer's office, you know, yeah, yeah. and you're fine, you're fine with that that journey which is the longest journey there is and he and he knows it he knows it that's the thing at this point he knows what how that is more important to him than it was in 1980 because he's gone through the bullshit i I was gonna i totally agree those lyrics were there in 1980 but yes i think they definitely must have felt all the more appropriate when he did the final take he he must have got got choked up it all yeah, he finally got through all of the red tape and all of the nonsense to be able to record this. It is a brilliant like celebration of the art form while also acknowledging just the f- nature of art in a capitalist country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I also, I'll be honest, I did not think of it through this lens because I've known this song for basically my entire life and only today listening to it again did i actually think about the long-term contract i had to sign says i'll be making these movies till the end of time (laughs) thinking of that now through the lens of actually using cgi hologram versions of carrie fisher yeah yeah suddenly just exploded my brain and i was like (laughs) oh my god not the end of my life the end of time the end of time and you know, dot dot dot, a long time ago in a galaxy oh my far, God. far away. I mean, like I mean, it, it just I, the, it, like it is a chilling thing to think about that he <laughs> saw that in 1980, and now here we are in 2022, and the same people are still alive or dead making these movies. Well, this yeah, is the it, Andy Warhol thing. This it's is like, amazing. Yeah, he's like he's like you're wrapped up in this moment of commerce, and you're compelled to spend this dollar that it took you so long to get on this yeah. thing. And then also, we're gonna I'm gonna segue right now into the infinite, you know, yeah. like <laughs> well, it's it's also, Zen and this Zen thought that's yeah. just like 
Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one also, day you'll be watching Luke suck milk out of some creature's <laughs> nipple. You know? Trust no, but me. It, <laughs> yeah. But it's also, I guess that's the other thing that I wasn't even thinking about. Like, because I've only experienced this song from the perspective of a kid who, like, obsessively watched the original trilogy and, like, was just a year or two away from them announcing the prequels. But, like, to walk out of a theater in 1980 to, from having essentially just seen part two of a newish franchise yeah and being like yep this is going to be like james bond where they're just going to keep cranking these things out for decades because there wasn't really i'm trying to think of like the 50s and the not 60s a ton like, of, not a ton of precedent for franchises like no, this back then no yeah. way not nothing, like even yeah, like the universal like monsters got like four movies tops and then they'd be like oh no one's seeing these and they would just stop making them. and that's yeah. the thing again not to say like obviously these movies were huge from the jump but still, having the foresight in 1980 to know that they were going to have this kind of longevity is really, really impressive. Because that's it, it's it's not like there was much precedent for something like this. Well, in, so in cinema. You, to your point, I didn't see a new hope in theaters. I yeah. was too young. Yeah, I did see Empire in theaters, mm. and that one had the adults like. Cause that was like, oh, this is this is a real thing now. Yeah, like, you know, like because it was this noir, you know, sort of failure piece, and it was like it ended sadly. And I think mm-hmm. that the kids were a little bit like, what was that all about? But the adults were like, I can't believe they're done. Oh, this is like, I, I, I'm in, I'm in now. You know, no, yeah, Empire is really the one that made it. If if Empire Strikes Back is not as good a movie we are probably not talking about any of this right now. Like Star Wars doesn't exist the way that it currently does. Like Empire had to be the movie that it was to keep this going the way that it has. That's the thing that's kind of sad about the whole story of Star Wars when you really look at it, though, is that like, imagine that movie written and directed by George Lucas. You know what I mean? Like that movie is essentially like story by George Lucas and produced by him, but someone else wrote it, someone else directed yeah. it. And like knowing what the prequels are and what a new hope was, I'm like, he probably wouldn't have the oh, franchise would have died. Oh, it for sure. For sure. It would have died a I, slow yeah. death. George Lucas <laughs> is so interesting because I and I'm not a Star Wars expert. I feel like both of you know way more about Star Wars than I do, but my understanding is that I mean, he is no disrespect. He is a genius for creating this world that he created. But as a filmmaker, I think he was very smart to realize that other people were way better at that than he was. Yeah. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You know, that generation of of filmmakers in the in the seventies, we're talking about Coppola. We're talking about you know Spielberg. It was it was them taking Hollywood back from you know Elvis movies on the beach and stuff. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and well, it there's was a place a, for those for sure. But <laughs> it was a revolution. It was a it was a legit revolution. Like you know, Jaws doesn't get made with those like with those like almost like how Mark Twain reinvented language. Now you have this like former retired New York police chief guy who's in Amity Island and it's mm-hmm. all the culture is just is there on display in a way that it was never on display earlier in Hollywood. And you know, Star Wars is is the comic book fantasy wave of that, yeah. which is fantastic. And I think that the only problem is is that when they got to a place when it technology caught up with the kind of movie he wanted to make, 
he didn't then hand it over to somebody who made good technology movies at yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, because like, why, why do you think you know how to do this? Your last time you messed around with these systems was, you know, in 1983. Like, yeah. don't, yeah. D- like, you know, and Industrial Light and Magic is, is arguably the, the company that made a lot of technology movies possible. But like the Matrix came on after that and made the new Star Wars movies look like a joke. Yeah, you know, it's true. so like I, I mean, that said, the best saber fight is Darth Maul and oh, it's Bygone incredible. And, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. But but it's like that. I mean, everything else, I'm just kind of like, ooh, you sound sounds seems like you tried to put all three of the first three successful yeah. films into every scene. Like there's yeah. like there's a Jedi moment, there's an Empire moment, there's a New Hope moment. Okay, back. We're resetting the clock. It's the next yeah. scene. We're doing you know, it, and it just befuddled me. But, yeah, it's why I wish I could see the Topher Grace cut of the prequels. Like I did not know this. Topher Grace, uh, <laughs> what are you wants talking to be, about? He wants to be a he wants to be a director and editor and stuff like that. And one of the projects that he does for himself is he'll take trilogies that he thinks could be better if they were more concise and he'll re-edit them. And he apparently <laughs> took all three prequels and re-edited it into a two-and-a-half-hour movie that just focuses on Anakin Skywalker's story and did, like, a special screening in L.A. And people were like, yo, if that was what George Lucas released, it would have been a really good movie. Like, <laughs> like, get rid of, like, the tax stuff, get rid of the government and stuff, just tell the story of Anakin being corrupted by the Empire yeah. Like, See, this is story. amazing. Like again, like I said, I'm not that up on Star Wars. The <laughs> fact that you just talked about the Topher Grace cut is like I had no idea a million that that years. Ex- I never would have thought that needs to be celebrated. That's out of control. <laughs> so is that anywhere oh. in the world, or was that just like no, a one-time you could, screening? That was like a one-time screening for his friends, and like because it's illegal, later. pretty much. Yeah, it's it's super illegal. Have to get, yeah, that's yeah. not allowed. So wait, he took three movies and consolidated them into one. Into two and one two and a half hour wow. Star Wars movie. Wow! Now I really want to watch <laughs> a new Star Wars movie. See, I didn't think I'd come cow. off of the because because the the Ray character, right? I was, I, you know, I mean, I know people are excited about these movies still, but th- that <laughs> that felt to me like they were going to do this wonderful thing where where she develops over the course of three films. I was ready. I was so ready for that. And then here's her goth emo brother, who's. <laughs> You know, a total dipshit, and and I mean, I love him as an actor, but but I felt like that role was not like he just couldn't do it the the way that 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 he can do things, you know, because yeah. it was like cramped and weird and vengeful and. I hate my parents and like it was just kind of oh man I don't know I mean at the end of the day I always feel like with with a franchise like this I mean Marvel has it a little bit now to a degree is what it's like there's so much behind it and there's so much money and future property value at stake that the amount of mingling or or, or, of meddling i should say the amount of meddling in the project from executives and higher ups at the studio must be off the charts it must be impossible to complete it and that's why it ends with i mean now we're really just full of star wars talk which is fine i I want to throw one fact out when you're done by the way yeah yeah yeah. it's it's just and i think i think george lucas (laughs) dealt with this as well even though it was his own property that still doesn't matter like the like the pressure to make it have mass appeal to every single person who can see it often leads to something that everyone feels met about like the yeah. suicide squad movie the, you, yeah. there's there's low yeah exactly it's, exactly. it's incoherently interfered with it's yeah. it's it's, it, it's it be- uh it, you get something at the end where everyone's just like okay that's fine like it didn't move me but it didn't offend me so i guess you that's also, okay you also wonder like why certain directors get like way more free reign like because I watch, you know, you watch the Guardians of the Galaxy movies or even bringing up Suicide Squad, James Gunn's Suicide Squad sure. movie. And it feels like James Gunn has hit this level where no one is going to be able to tell him, no, you can't do that. And he gets to do these like really fucking out there weird movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I- then you bring in someone else to do like a Thor movie and it feels like they're being micromanaged every single step of the way sure. to hit like specific story beats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably about relationships. Yeah. Right. Like there's like, like somebody in the, in the ivory tower somewhere is like, nobody touches my boy gun. Yeah. Right. It and can be, and yeah. that's it. And the word comes down and it's just like one of those like 
don't no 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 don't don't get yeah. in on don't go to that set you know like yeah. you, you're gonna lose your job you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> piss people off if you go to that set you know look it, i take a ton of pride in the fact that a guy who cut his teeth working on trauma movies for 10 years is somehow the most powerful <laughs> filmmaker in hollywood right now makes me Can, so happy. call it a win call it a win <laughs> uh, absolutely i'm not sure how true this is i heard from someone that on the first guardians movie they kind of let him have free reign because marvel had very modest hopes for that at best they were just it was an obscure franchise and they were like, no yeah. one knows these characters. No one knows what to expect. So we can let this guy do his thing because no one it's not Spider-Man. No one has preconceived. Yeah. The, um, no one has a, an idea in their head already about who these people are. So right. just let him do his own thing with it. And then it was so successful that then it was like, well, this is what you got when you left me alone. So continue leaving me alone, please. And thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, so I, one thing I just pulled up, it was in 2012, Topher Grace re-edited the Star Wars prequels trilogy. I can't into believe an, this fact. This into, an 85, into an 85-minute long movie that he titled Star Wars Episode 3.5, The Editor Strikes Back. Uh, it was, shown it was only 85 minutes long? And then in 2018, <laughs> he created his own edit of The Hobbit, consolidating that into a singular movie. Uh, he said that this is how he relaxes when he's on movie sets. He's just doing fan edits of movies. He's that just is like out there the most writing adorably... billion dollar wrongs for himself. <laughs> that's the most adorably dorky thing I think I've ever heard for someone like of, at his like that's crazy. Apparently, oh. also in 2014, he did a recut of Boogie Nights that strictly focused on <laughs> reconstructing the fake movie that they were making. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> I want to know about their album from Boogie Nights. <laughs> Wild. That that's like just someone with more resources doing like that's the equivalent of him being like yeah when I'm not working on set I write Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction fan fiction yeah <laughs> so, but I but I kind of, that endeared me to Topher oh, Grace yeah, no, more I'm, than I've I'm ever been endeared it. to that's Topher great. Grace like I was like this guy seems pretty all he right seems actually. pretty all right <laughs> that's all fantastic it it just reinforces the my original endearment moment for him was he was in a movie called Traffic with Michael Douglas yes I remember yeah. that and he. <laughs> He has these like diatribes in that movie that are fucking great. <laughs> I also just thought that this was really funny and interesting. But, you know, I Googled Yoda lyrics mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if you also have this on your printed out sheet, but the Google lyrics also have what seems to be a speech he gives after a live performance one time that says, no, but seriously, folks, we'd like to do a medley of every song ever written in the history of the world. And I hope you're not too busy tonight. This medley is about songs. Uh, this medley of songs is about one of our favorite subjects, food. And we'd like to start off with a fabulous food melody today that contains a little sneak preview for you. The upcoming soundtrack to the motion picture, Rocky 13. So I guess at some point during a live set, he played Yoda and then went into the Rye or the Kaiser. <laughs> but the fact that that's what shows up on Google is that's insane funny, yeah. to me. I, I didn't see that either. But yeah, that's great. Another example of uh, him... Uh, calling correctly the endless cycle of the same franchise yeah. his joke song about rocky 13 which we said in that episode is like i we're i, I chronologically we're probably approaching rocky 13 <laughs> i don't know i'd have to look at the numbers but they stopped counting I, at one point because it gets embarrassing I, I i saw i saw i think i saw up to five and yeah. then the new Rocky movies, one of them I saw on a plane, and it was really good. I heard it was awesome. I, I keep seen them, hearing yeah. they're really good. I have not watched anything past five as well, but I'm told that all of the new ones are way better than five, which, I mean, what a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's Apollo Creed's son. It's the story of Apollo Creed's son finding himself as a as a professional boxer, and you know he's taking some advice from uh, from from his uncle Rocky and you know it's a, it's a good it's a, it was a wholesome and and uh endearing and inspiring uh continuance of the narrative yeah. of that of that series. See, here's the th and I think I said this on our Rocky 13 episode but like I don't know that doesn't endear me like I would much rather watch Rocky 3 or Rocky 4 where he's got like a robot butler and like <laughs> Mr. T showing up. Like the more ridiculous that the Rocky movies are, the more invested I am. Well, you have to separate. You have to separate. Like Rocky, Rocky one and two. For me, that's high art. Yeah. Mm. Right. No, they're beautifully made. They're just not what I want to watch. Beautiful movies. <laughs> and I really liked that they became friends. And then uh, what happens in in uh, in Rocky four was really upsetting. You know, I was, I was invested. It was still, it was still, I was still of the age to be very yeah. emotionally invested in the Rocky franchise. You know, you yeah. have to remember you waited for these movies, you know, you waited, yeah. you had to wait. 
That was oh, yeah. the only choice. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like me watching it in a block of movies on USA one afternoon. <laughs> no, there was no binging. There was no worldwide streaming and theater like drop date or any of that stuff. It was like, and then like it came. It came out, and you could f- kiss the first weekend goodbye because yeah. you know, like all the all the like older kids are waiting online for this movie. Of course, you're yeah. just even if you're online, you're getting kicked off of it, or your tickets cooking or whatever you know <laughs> and then you literally have to stay off of the internet because if it's a movie you really want to see some asshole's gonna like take a picture of the closing scene and post it as their facebook profile pretty much dick yeah yeah all right so let's talk about the yoda chant before we totally wrap this up though because yes. this has become the most insane piece of i think the yoda lore and did you know that that wasn't originally written for Yoda, Matt? Because I just learned that today. I learned that today, that he originally, he originally did that in the middle of Another One Rides the Bus. Is that right? Yeah, in 1991. Yeah. But then pretty much after he did it, he was like, ooh, this is going into Yoda. This yeah. this works. Matt and I are long have long known about the Yoda chant. You just learned about it today. Yeah, you heard it. What, what are your initial thoughts? I was just aghast. I was like... <laughs> How does he rem- how is he remembering this? I mean all of them and and some of the I mean obviously just the rhythm and the amounts to memorize in it is crazy but the rhythmic accuracy at random moments they bust into these incredible four part harmonies like yeah. like it is like Ladysmith and yeah, like, exactly. like and like and then they're back into this like goofy like like yeah. like nonsense words with full choreographed moves like yes. they have a synchronized yeah. dance going and as well. to make it even more insane and crazy generally speaking every tour that they have done it they add something so it's gotten longer and longer and longer. I sent you a video from the tour in 2016 because that was the best like quality version of it I could find. But he's on when tour right start? now. Um, he's been doing that since 1992. 1992. Uh, in in 2022, right now he's on the road and it is longer still. He adds like a, a, a segment of the lion sleeps tonight and a couple other just random like he just keeps building it up i mean it is minutes long at this point i love hearing like as a diehard disney park fan just hearing them do the grim grinning ghost part for like even five seconds yeah like fills my soul and then they go into the trashman surfbird papa uma mal part like it's it's so insane how much they're jumping around the entire palette of musical history, which I'm really, I'm waiting for the next Weedis tour where you guys do this right before the two tickets <laughs> well, to Iron Maiden to, baby To line. bring it back home, we, <laughs> yeah. we, like, you know, Weedis, we, uh, Matt, Matthew may have told you or not that we load our own gear and set up our own stage and everything. Yeah. We uh, break it down, pack the trailer. It's all us. It's all me. Yeah, it's yeah. all Matthew. It's all, and, you know, we work pretty hard. Watching that, I realized that we don't work hard at all. <laughs> uh, like, like I was like, I was like, uh, maybe he doesn't have to set up his own accordion amplifier, but he obviously they they have to meet on like a you know like few days a week just to make sure they still know how this goes. There's no way. I mean, like I don't know no, how. That the is, mem- I mean, that's extremely challenging. And another thing that I love so much that we keep coming back to is this thing that he does that I always think about reminds me of like clearly influenced by people like Frank Zappa where it's like it's funny but also done in a way where you cannot deny how unbelievably talented everyone involved in it has to be and adding the comedy to that amount of technical skill and mastery makes it disarming in this completely different way like it's there's no pretension to it and yet it's just mind-blowingly impressive to see chops just if you told me that the four of them have a zoom meeting every day where they just do the yoda chant and then log off i'd be like yeah well what (laughs) if they what if they meet for like a private like weird al yoga class (laughs) (laughs) where that's the chant during the entire two hours and they always they might have like a full like a much longer version that they're just waiting to unfold yeah uh, you know to drop on the world yeah and but they've been working this as part of their daily exercise routine for their entire lives. That would work. That yeah, would work. It's, it, is, it is really insane. The only other thing I wanted to mention is that this is one of the only songs where he does do something a little different than the recorded version because the recorded version doesn't have the accordion, but he breaks out the accordion when they play this live. And I think it's better with the accordion. I'm almost bummed that in 1985 he was so focused on like 
we cannot change the song from the way that it was recorded because the accordion sounds great. I love the live song. version of this because I think it's that hybrid of the two, right? We were saying, yeah. like, if this song had wound up on his first record, if he had gotten the permission... Oh, the accordion would have been there. The accordion and would have been, been there. Fast. On the first record, he was not as focused on sound-alike. Like, he does flawless sound-alike recordings now. And ever since the first record, that's basically what he has done. And on the recording of Yoda, it is the band doing a fantastic impression of the Kinks original track. Um, but live, it has a lot of that album one energy where it's just the accordion and it's so much more like it's got this very like rock and roll, uh, you know, aesthetic to it with the, I, I love it with the accordion. I well, totally I'll have agree. To, I'll have to pl- put a clip in here from the, the demo, but I'm not sure if you caught this when you were listening to the demo. I was listening to it today before we record it. And the tempo is all over the place on that demo. Like there I, are parts it, yeah. that are so bizarrely fast and then mid line slow down yeah i have i have to chalk that up to him being young and still and in a bathroom he's alone when when you're playing alone to no one you can change tempo no one's gonna yell at you so then you're with a band later and they're like al what are you doing you gotta well so 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 it does often it is often the case that if you're in a hotel room and you wake up and this song is in your head you have to just blurt it out and it would have been a little tape recorder or a dictaphone back then or maybe his four track whatever but um tempo is like at the bottom of the list yeah, of it was concerns. so unimportant like so it's, unimportant. it's like it's like we will work that out with the drummer later yeah but for now insane. i gotta get this rhyme out of my head and make sure that this <laughs> this cadence that i'm this syllabic yeah. uh, separation that yeah. i've just come up with is gonna work but back to the accordion for a second um and the uh, doing renditions of songs in sound alike fashion uh we just actually we do that that's a, one of our like favorite things to do is to try and match sounds generally speaking if we do a cover or, yeah we really, yeah or an really ACDC song and we did we did this series of uh where we found out just how difficult that actually is like uh, <laughs> we did a wilson phillips track and a song by the darkness and um well and, matt uh, has talked on a different podcast uh one hit thunder that i do with chris Fafalios about how hard you found doing like umbop by hansen like shocked that, you for me i <laughs> yeah. was i was like holy shit I don't know how to play music at all. What has this song, this song has revealed, finally I am exposed for the fraud that I am. I mean, it was like, it, and Matthew was getting frustrated with me right well, I would so say we, I felt like we all became oddly frustrated because it was like, we thought it was going to be such a quick, like, oh, let's just do this and we'll move on. And no, it took broke a long me. time. Fucking broke me, man. all of us were like, why is this so hard? What is broke happening right too. now? And I can play, I'm capable of note perfect renditions of like The Trees by Rush. And, yeah. you know, the, I one time the entire, and Justice for All record by Metallica. I knew yeah. every note of both guitar parts, but that one, Umbop, unraveled me in a way that like <laughs> was supernatural. Like, yeah. but back to the the accordion. So on that live version, he's playing uh, Dave Davies' leads. Yeah, those yeah. sort of, but you know, all of those like funky sort of like high on the neck leads. So this is this is coming from both ends. So we are a. In the future, sometime going to be releasing a, a Kinks cover. Without going into how, we actually wound up talking to uh, Dave Davies a few times about things, about the song that we did, and about a few other things. And one of the things I actually got to talk to him about was what equipment he used on Lola, the recording gear, the the amplifier. And he told me it was a PV Mace, which is an early one, like PV before they were a popular company at all. Um, they were putting out tube amps and, and, you know, now they make Eddie Van Halen's amplifier line and his guitar line. But back then they were kind of an unknown company and he took a chance on this amp called a PV Mace. And I think that that has a, a heavy contribution to the way that the song feels timeless. Those guitar takes on that record are, that guitar sound was never on another record. That's a, and that's, that'll be the second time that Dave accomplished something like that. But Al doing these, essentially these guitar licks, these like iconic guitar licks on an accordion, it totally works because there is a relationship between accordion and guitar that is in the in the sort of tonality of it, the way that, that uh, I guess we'd say the timbre or whatever, the, the sort of vibe of the frequencies that come out of both instruments is they're shooting for a similar target. And we did a song with uh, MC Lars that Al wound up playing accordion on um a song called true player for real and he kind of expressed reservations about like 
I'm not sure what to play. And, and you know, Lars was like, please play your accordion on this. So uh, <laughs> luckily he he whipped out the accordion and and did this like doubling layer of my really thick, like weedacy guitars on, on it. And <clears throat> the only other person I know who who knows that sort of trick is Gil Norton, who produced the Pixies and and yeah. um, and uh, Foo Fighters and stuff. And I, I think one of his deals, I haven't confirmed this, but he he usually puts this sort of like Moog synthesizer that mimics an accordion tone as a layer in the guitar tracks. So there's this extra like re, uh, reedy kind of feel to that's that's um you know the the tuning of an accordion is so precise and like sort of vi- a vibrant. Um, and it, it, he, the, the fact that, that, that does, that Al knows how to play Dave's licks on that accordion <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all because it's yeah. like this, there's a marriage of those two instruments that is, that is totally reasonable and possible yeah. and it works like a motherfucker on, on that live recording. <laughs> it sounds so good. Like, yeah. it, I really do think that's the only strike uh, as we get into rankings that, that is, if there's any strike against Yoda, it is the absence of an accordion on it but i mean i'll i'll say right now i'm putting this at the top of my list for best parody <laughs> right now this is yeah. this is so good and, and this is one of those ones where you know for for a while the top has been i mean i'm the guy who had ricky as his number one for almost a album and a half because i love that song so much um but this is like this is one of those ones where it's like, what is going to take down Yoda over these next couple albums? And I think Yoda is going to have a, a nice place for at least until we get into 2023 episodes. I don't yeah. see Yoda coming down that hill. Like, um, for, yeah, for I, well, I, yeah, yeah me, Matthew and I have discussed this. I The only one that I would say tops it would be a Weird Al original. And for me, uh, that could only be Mellow When I'm Dead. Yeah, um, that's that's it. That's the Which only one. The original. My, my, I, at this point, my greatest regret on this entire podcast is that we didn't have you on to talk about I'll Be Mellow When I'm Dead, <laughs> which Matt and I did on our own. Uh, maybe we'll do a retrospective episode at some point about that. Which controversially, while I like that song, I liked Checks in the Mail more because there's I mean, something I love about. That's just an insane I love thing to something say about like a Paul Williams inspired <laughs> song about how corrupt the record companies are. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I do like that track, but that's I that's remains a very hot take i love um, how when <laughs> as an aside I, lo- I love how when whenever al sings about the record business which he which he touches on here and that there, first record a lot yeah <laughs> he he has this sort of like i know this is really boring but like <laughs> like tone to his voice where yeah. he's like, like oh boy oh, yeah. we're talking about these assholes again yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well anyway i am also putting yoda at number one of my parodies i don't know how to not do that it, i had uh like a surgeon at number one and i'm bumping this above um yeah this is i agree with you matt i mean there will be definitely competition for the top spot here but i think uh i think i don't think it's on polka party I, it might not be on polka party uh spoilers for polka party uh it's, it's only okay no this is i mean this is really really good and again this is like i mean th- this is this is t- the top this is top tier, Al. Even by the time we get to the end, there's no way this is not going to be. This this ranks very, very high. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. And, and Brendan, you get to do some ranking, too. We have our, our guest rankings. Anytime a guest comes on the show, they can rank it against other songs that guests have talked about. When I think about your list, the only thing that keeps hitting me in the head is I'd rather clean all the, grand, uh, the, all the bathrooms in Grand Central Station with my tongue. Yeah. One more minute? Yeah. Right. And that line for me... <laughs> I mean, I have thought that as an adult while talking to somebody I don't like. Like that, like I have run, that is running in my head when I'm like, like having to listen to something that's just total bullshit. Where do you want to put Yoda amongst that list? Is it going straight to the top? Is it? Okay. If the originals were excluded from that list, Uh I would put Yoda at the top. Okay. If they weren't, I would put it as a very close second. To um, one more minute. One more minute. So I think that's what All we're right. doing. I think we're putting it just below one more minute, which I, I think is a very respectable place for Yoda, honestly. I actually I think I might have done the same thing. Yeah. And without slime creatures or frump in the mix, we're <laughs> we're, we're we're left no other option. <laughs> yeah. And Matt, I, I've got some very uncomfortable news for you to know right now. Oh boy. Uh oh. But I'm looking at our rankings and right now we have the same number one for best parody 
We have the same number one for best original. Best original. We have the same number one for best music video. We have the same number one for best polka, and we have the same number one for best album. Okay, well, to be fair, we've only done we've only done one polka. For, so to I'm be just fair, saying, for, we are both tied at number one for the one song we've talked about. <laughs> but for for how much we often disagree and how uncomfortable it is when we agree on something, I, I think this the is the first our, time in the show that we have been on the same. We have been the for same every across single the board category. in every category. Yeah. I think this is the first time. I don't want to play a hand too early, but uh, this weekend I was casually listening to Even Worse in my car. Sure. And as you do, as man, one does. There, there are more heavy hitters on that album than I remember uh, from the original songs front of the Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, we got, there's a lot. We, we, are, we have still <laughs> barely scratched the surface. We have a lot yeah. to talk about. Well, before we fully sign off, Brendan, is there anything you want to promote? Are you uh, currently singing in any bands or a <laughs> giant TikTok trend on the internet or anything? So, well, so uh, I would I, like to promote our new TikTok single, Teenage Dirtbag. Um, oh, and uh, brand, version, brand new, please. just dropped, just dropped. <laughs> really excited about this one. I think yeah. it's going to be you know, a thing. At the time that this airs, we'll already be on tour. So come to see us live on this tour that we're on, weedus.com forward slash shows. Uh, visit me on Twitter if you can bear Twitter. Uh, if you're one of those people who has the armor for Twitter, uh, <laughs> otherwise uh, there are other nicer places that we hang out on TikTok and um, Instagram. Our Instagram is fun, yes. uh, nothing but fun times. Um, and I don't know, Matthew, do you still do the Facebook? I don't know what happened. We still it? do our Facebook as well. Yeah, Facebook.com/slashweedus. Are we um, called Metus on yes. that or something? <laughs> um, I'm going to say this as well, Matt. It's all pictures, all pictures of people we bumped into. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to say this, and I think this is okay to leave in, but I might ask you to cut it out because I think right. that at the time this runs, we will have announced the Kings track, Brennan. So okay. I'm going to say like, uh, I think it might even be out. Um, but um, this is going to be the last episode we release before Halloween. I just saw on so, the list it's the yeah. end of October, and I think we're announcing right before the tour starts. Um, we recorded a cover of uh, the Kings song "Starstruck." that is coming out as part of a compilation of all Kinks covers and is going to have its own uh, seven-inch single release um, that will be available through us and through um, Wicked Opossum Records. So uh, you can nice. check our uh, social medias and stuff for that as well. Um, Lola was already taken when they asked us to do this. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it probably would have been a strong contender, honestly. We've, we've talked about how much we love this song for a long time. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right, well... I, I think we incorrectly said Slime Creatures is next week. We'll see if Slime Creatures is next week because Matt has it in his head that we can get a full episode out of George of the Jungle. So oh. stay tuned and see if that is the case or not. I, I, I really <laughs> feel good about George of the Jungle. Matt thinks that we're going to talk about it for two seconds and then have to move on. And I think that I have a lot to say about George of the Jungle. Watch out for that tree. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 